If you grew up in the 1980s or 1990s like me and my sister did, then there is a chance that at some point, someone in your family likely videotaped you during an event or family gathering on their camcorder, whether you liked it or not. When camcorders became readily available for consumer usage in the 1980s, their popularity exploded and every dad, like mine, rejoiced. I've been combing through some old home video footage for the past few weeks, and so I felt like it was time for a show focused on these groundbreaking devices. So, sit back and relax while we take a trip back to the 1980s to discuss the backstory behind camcorders. Thank you so very much for tuning into the Pop Culture Retrospective Podcast. This show is dedicated to the memory of my big sister, Rebecca, a fan of all things pop culture, particularly the people, places, and things that defined the 80s, 90s, and early 2000s. Welcome aboard this pop culture time machine. I'm Amy Lewis. This is episode number 88, The History of Camcorders. According to ScienceDirect.com, a camcorder is, quote, a combination of a television camera, a video recorder, and a synchronization pulse generator, allowing you to record video and sound on a miniature cassette, digital versatile disc, DVD, or memory card, and subsequently transfer the signals to a full-size DVD or other medium. End quote. Believe it or not, amateur video recording is not necessarily a new phenomenon from recent decades. It actually goes back a lot farther than that. Louis Le Prince, which I'm sure I'm butchering because I never took French, or I did maybe for a month in middle school, is often credited with being the first person to ever film a video on a recording device back in 1888, which was just about 100 years before, literally, a consumer video camera arrived in my family. This happened when he created a single lens camera and captured video of a group of people walking around a garden. The short video is called Round Hay Garden Scene, and I'll post a link to this video in the show notes. Moving up a few decades in the 1950s, the ability to record video onto tape became more prominent, and it was during news broadcasts that people were able to see traditional video on screen. Cameras were huge back then. They were rolled around on trolleys, and they were heavy and quite cumbersome it would take a few more decades before video and film cameras were created for consumers. Kodak created a system called the Kodak Super 8 in the 1960s, making its debut at the 1964 to 1965 World's Fair. This system grew in popularity and gained a lot of momentum in the 1970s, especially when sound was added to the system in 1973. That's a complicated looking machine, isn't it? Funny thing is, a lot of people still think that taking home movies is that complicated, too. If that were true, believe me, I wouldn't take them. For instance, he's reloading the film. Let me show you how easy Kodak has made it for you and me with a Kodak Instamatic movie camera. You finish one roll of film, drop another one in, you're all set. How are you doing, Charlie? Taking home movies couldn't be much easier than that, could it? You know, now is the time to start, too. When the kids are growing up, you're on your vacation, Save the action and the color in movies. 
With Kodak projectors, movies are easy to show, too. And cameras start at less than $35. Actually, you know what Kodak does for you? Film for these cameras came in a cartridge, and the camera was on top of a pistol grip, which was really an ingenious design. This led to a real home video boom in the 1970s. Families could now record several minutes of video and sound clips altogether. After the video was taken, it then had to be sent out to Kodak for them to process, which took several weeks. After it was processed, it could be viewed on a projector. In the late 1970s, VHS technology was gaining more and more momentum, and eventually video was able to be recorded onto VHS tapes. It was still a cumbersome process, but it was certainly more durable than traditional film reels. Sony, of course, didn't want to sit on the popularity of home video cameras, so they released one of their own. The BMC-100P was a camcorder that recorded onto Betamax tapes. No, he's changed his course. He's reversed his it's course. He's really light and easy to operate. Five yards to go. Will it be a touchdown? It's a touchdown! I got everything sharp and clear thanks to autofocus. It was a long pass. And thank goodness for Beta Movie's long recording capabilities. Looks like Beta Movie's a winner all around. The camera had to be held on one shoulder. Most often, that would be on the right-hand shoulder. I never really thought about this, but during my research, I learned that the vast majority of camcorders are geared toward right-handed people. If you listen to the episode about the history of the VCR, then you may remember that in the late 1970s and early 1980s, there was a video format war of Betamax versus VHS. Ultimately, VHS won. And with that in mind, electronic companies wanted to get in on the VHS craze. Before the inception of the camcorder, video filming required two separate devices, a video camera and a VCR. And that all changed in 1984 with the release of the JVC GRC1. It began as an idea. A video camera and VHS recorder, all in one. But hold everything. Now JVC presents Video Movie. You can play back through the eyepiece or a TV, even without a VCR. In low light or daylight, the picture is incredible. And Video Movie is so lightweight, you're free to be more creative. Hold everything with the JVC Video Movie. JVC, the goal is perfection. Produced from 1984 to 1985, this model was groundbreaking for the home video nerds of the world, including my dad, who had a later JVC camcorder model. And I've seen pictures and videos of the JVC GRC1, and I don't remember my dad's camera being that complicated. It was a little bit more simplistic in a good way. 
The camera could record up to 30 minutes at a time on a TC-30 tape. It could zoom up to six times and even had a headphone jack. My dad used his camera all the time for over a decade, maybe even two decades. And it captured a lot of our family's memories like soccer games, Christmas, baby showers, and our day-to-day lives. And the day-to-day life type stuff is the best. It really irritated me and my sister sometimes when we were kids that my dad was filming. There's many, many moments of us screaming at him about it. But I am so grateful that he filmed us despite our complaints. Watching videos of my sister isn't easy, but getting out an old-fashioned ugly cry while watching videotape of your siblings is quite therapeutic. If you visit my website or Instagram account, you will be able to see some old home video footage that I found that I was able to digitize, and there will probably be more at some point coming down the road. This camera represented the first time home video recording became accessible. It could hold enough tape for 40 to 120 minutes of VHS recording. In the early to mid-1980s, camcorders were pretty expensive. The average cost was about $1,500, which is about $4,500 in today's money. And I remember having many a discussion with my mom, who recalled that when my dad purchased this video camera, she was quite frustrated with him, I think, because it was so expensive at the time. And I think now we can all certainly appreciate that we did purchase it. But at the time, you know, my parents were in their early 30s. I think when my dad bought this camera, that was a kind of a big deal and was very expensive. When the JVC camera appeared in Back to the Future, it became even more popular. And more recently, the camera was featured in the TV series Stranger Things, which I feel like everybody keeps telling me to watch because it was set in the 80s. And as much as that is awesome, I have to remind people that I have very high anxiety and I get scared very easily. So I don't like suspenseful or strange things, but I'm sure it's a great show. I tried to watch a few episodes. I'm sure it's wonderful, but I'm just too much of a nervous Nelly. So maybe another time. In 1985, Panasonic, RCA, and Hitachi all released their own VHS camcorders. Sony introduced the first of their handy cam camcorders at this time as well. Dad doesn't know, but this commercial is being shot with our new Sony Handycam. We at the Sony brought this new world contest, and here we are with all my favorite characters. <laughs> Why don't you enter Sony's Picture Perfect Family Vacation Contest and win a trip to Walt Disney World Resort? You can stay at Disney's Grand Floridian Beach Resort. Delta Airlines, the official airline of Walt Disney World, will get you there. Get your dad to an authorized Sony Canada dealer and keep him away from the candy floss. The Handycam name was utilized for all of their camcorder incarnations, even when additional features were added later, like night vision, SD storage, etc. In 1987, full-size or super VHS camcorders came out. Unlike previous models, where a small tape would have to be dubbed onto a VHS tape, these larger systems did it all in one. And in the early 1990s, if you were planning a trip to Walt Disney World, there was a plethora of information available to people going on vacation there to help prepare them for their trip to Disney World and bringing along a camcorder. I have a pretty extensive collection of Walt Disney World books. I've been collecting travel guides there from the early 1980s up until somewhat recently, because I've always been a very passionate Disney fan. And so I decided to dig out one of my old 
vacation planning books, and I found some pretty fun information from the Fodor's 1994 Walt Disney World and the Orlando Area book, which was given four stars by Newsweek, so must be a great resource. So in the book, it says that if you're going on vacation Walt Disney World, you should really, you know, prepare for it. And it says, quote, before your trip, put new or long unused camcorders through their paces and practice panning and zooming. Invest in a skylight filter to protect the lens and check the lithium battery that lights up the LCD liquid crystal display modes. As for the rechargeable nickel cadmium batteries that are the camera's power source, take along an extra pair. So while you're using your camcorder, you'll have one battery ready and another recharging. It's good advice. It's good advice. And later in the book, it tells readers a little bit about where they can rent camcorders if they don't have one to bring with them. So in the Epcot section, it says, quote, Kodak's disposable fun saver cameras are widely available, or you can borrow a Kodak disc camera. You just have to buy the film or rent 35 millimeter cameras or video camcorders, $5 and $40 respectively, refundable $100 to $800 deposit required. Sources include the Kodak Camera Center in the Entrance Plaza, the Lagoon's Edge World Traveler at the end of the promenade between Future World and World Showcase, and cameras and film at the Journey into Imagination. End quote. And I always wondered how many people rented cameras at Walt Disney World. Certainly some timeless memories there. I have many a home video footage from Walt Disney World and Disneyland. And, spoiler alert, the footage is all terrible and makes you want to throw up when you watch it because there's just a lot of movement and it's not good. But at the time, I thought it was pretty incredible to take a huge-ass video camera into Walt Disney World. Anyways... The first fully digital recording device was the Ricoh RDC-1, which was introduced in 1995. It could film in a resolution of 768 times 480 pixels. For the first time, video recordings and still images could be captured without film and without any tape. And around the same time, DV and mini-DV digital cameras were released. With this digital technology, video and audio quality was significantly improved. Sony released their mini DV camera, the DCR-VX1000, say that 10 times fast. This camera put footage onto a small cartridge, which could then easily be transferred to a Mac or PC. In 2000, Hitachi released the MV100. It could record directly to a DVD disc. And a lot of these digital models were pretty expensive, so there was still a lot of usage and purchasing of analog video cameras, which I'll talk about here right now. So in 2001, I graduated from high school and I got one of the best gifts I could have ever asked for, my own personal video camera. The timing was impeccable because about two months after I graduated from high school, I left to work at Walt Disney World, which I've talked about a lot on the show, for a semester. So having a video camera was exciting because I think my parents knew just how much I would want to film every second of my time there, and they were definitely right. I was gifted a Sony Handycam Vision Hi8 analog video camera, which I still have to this day, and it only works if it's plugged in. Coincidentally, several of the commercials for Handycams around this time were filmed at Walt Disney World. Go figure. My specific Handycam camera featured a rotatable flip screen, which was 
huge at the time, where you could see what you were shooting in color, and also an adjustable viewfinder, where you, you know, put your put your eye directly on sort of a cap to look to see what you're filming, and that was in black and white. Dear God, do I feel old. It also featured Night Shot, which is not as awesome as it sounds. It was kind of sort of like a kind of like a flashlight attached to the camera. And it actually made dark footage look even worse and uh, kind of looked like security camera footage. So not good, but, you know, certainly it was probably a marketing tool to say they had night vision, but the night vision was uh, was bad. But anyways, I loved it. And I got so much use out of it at Walt Disney World and later in college. And I did a lot of work to digitize some of that footage, too, so that it wouldn't just sort of sit on the tapes. The video was recorded onto a high a tape when you use this camera, and high a tapes were just about the same size as a cassette tape. I would then connect my camera to a VCR, and then I could record the footage from a high 8 tape to a VHS tape. In 2003, Sony introduced the first completely digital video camera. No more tapes or discs were necessary. This was sort of the very beginning of the end, in some ways, of the traditional camcorder. Flip cameras came onto the scene in 2007. The Flip Video Ultra is a real simple plug-and-play digital camcorder that's easy to use, and it's the perfect camcorder for the YouTube generation. It captures video at 640 by 480 at 30 frames per second, which is considered TV quality, and its improved video is superior to other cameras in its class. The Flip Video Ultra stores its video clips on its internal memory. The one gig- it very quickly became popular due to their convenience and excellent video quality, and eventually the company had 13% market share. The marketing tagline for flip cameras was simple to shoot, simple to share. And that was true because the cameras were relatively small in size, about the size of an iPhone, and it had a USB connector attached that could easily be plugged into a computer. There were just a few control buttons on the camera, including a record button, buttons for the zoom features, as well as a play button and a delete button. The camera could film in high definition and the battery was rechargeable. The flip video camera and other USB cameras were popular when I was in graduate school. We used them to film our mock counseling sessions. We could check them out from the AV department. And I'm not sure if I have mentioned this on the show, but I was actually a school counselor for about 10 years. I have a master's degree in school counseling. I was very passionate about working with kids for a very long time until life sort of had other plans for me. So again, making me feel old, but we had to record these sort of mock sessions and get feedback on how we were doing and sort of processing stuff with other students. And we used flip cameras. So, you know, getting getting old, that explains the gray hairs. The cameras had a strong run for about three years and then pretty much dropped off the face of the earth once HD video cameras were released. Camcorder companies realized that cell phone cameras were another place to start putting cameras for still images. First, Sharp added cameras, and then Samsung did. This would then eventually lead to video cameras being added to phones, and the rest as well. History. In 2010, the iPhone 4 was released, and it could shoot HD video. This is where camcorders really started to decline. However, there was a temporary resurgence in 2011 when Sony, JVC, and Panasonic all released camcorders that could film in 3D. Brand new Sony NX1 3D camera. This camera shoots both 3D and 2D using two separate 
10 zoom lenses, the 3D monitor that allows you to view your image without the use of 3D glasses. 2017 was the last time that a new camcorder was announced at the Consumer Electronics Show, or CES. It seems the vast majority of the consumer market prefers to film with their cell phones. So essentially by the late 2010s, which is that even how you say that? I don't know, but whatever. The camcorder, as we and all 80s dads knew it, was a thing of the past. I hope you've enjoyed this look back on the history of the camcorder. I know I did. We covered just the tip of the iceberg when it comes to all of the camcorders and personal recording devices that have been on the market since the 1980s. With the advent of cell phones replacing point-and-shoot cameras and now camcorders, I just, you know, had to ask my friends, followers, and listeners of the show what they do with all the videos that they record on their phones, and here are their results, and I was kind of surprised by it. On both Twitter and Instagram, I asked, what do you do with all the footage that you have on your cell phone, you know, video footage? On Twitter, 0% said that they compiled the videos together into a longer one, you know, sort of like the home video concept. 40% of people said it just stays on their phone, and 60% said that they don't film much at all. On Instagram, 11% said they compile them. 67% said it just stays on their phone, and 22% said that they don't feel much at all. I was surprised to learn that more people don't do something above and beyond just capturing video on their phones. And I would strongly encourage you to do so if you can. Compiling the videos may take some time, but programs like iMovie, which is on, I think, all iPhones now, makes it really easy. And I think we should all take a pledge, you know, in 2024 to revert back to the 1980s and 1990s where all of the video clips taken by our friends and family got put onto a tape so we could watch it over and over again. Don't let memories sit on your phone. Learn some, you know, basic video editing skills and you you won't regret it. Put all that stuff somewhere to enjoy because I know that I don't think a Christmas break or spring break went by when me and my sister were young adults where we didn't sit down at my mom's house and watch old home video footage. That was just one of our favorite things to do was to look back on our childhood together and revisit those memories with videos. I I highly encourage you to do so. I hope you'll join me for my next show where we'll be taking a look back at more fascinating facets of the 80s, 90s, and early 2000s. Until then, be kind, be safe, and hold on to your memories. (laughs) 